My guest, Jared Judge, has a diverse career in music and technology, two degrees in music, and he served as an elementary and high school band director, and he ran a nonprofit opera house. A self-proclaimed tech geek, he has built many websites and apps. When he launched his wedding string quartet, Dream City Strings, it immediately became the top gigging quartet in Milwaukee. As the administrative work piled high, he launched BookLive, a tool to automate much of the work of booking and scheduling gigs and musicians and to help other musicians run profitable live music businesses. He now coaches hundreds of performing groups on making a living off his music. Jared and I sat down and we talked about the similarities in our career. We talked about gigging, ramping back up after the pandemic. And he's also got something special in store for you listeners. So make sure to listen to the end for a treat for you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with violinist Jared Judge. To the Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado... Here is this week's episode. Jared, welcome to The Playful Musician. So happy to have you here. Oh, Steve, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Oh, man. I was, uh, I was thinking about the parallels in our lives <laughs> and our trajectories. And like we're both... You know, I have a career in technology, you're into tech, I'm a musician, you're a musician, we both have, I have my undergrad and master's, you have your undergrad and master's, yeah. I was like, wow, there's, there's so many, um, there's so many parallels, it's, it's kind of cool. That's super cool. Yeah. How have, um, how has the pandemic been for you and gigs and, and are you seeing, are you coming out of that now? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, like everybody, as soon as March of 2020 <laughs> rolled around, we had built up so much momentum before then. Like mm. we had hit our stride and the bookings were just like really coming in. I was booking like several gigs each right. week or sometimes this is even for each this, day. The, the string quartet, right? Right, because I run a wedding string quartet here in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. And we were quickly booking six figures of gigs every year. Wow. And then March of 2020 rolls around and I'm like, I first hear about it in a bar trivia. I was just going to bar trivia with my wife mm -hmm. and one of the questions was about coronavirus. And I was like, huh, that sounds interesting, but it'll never come over here. <laughs> and then of course, a couple of days later, it came over here. And what that meant for our bookings is like all of a sudden we were not booking any more future gigs. Mm. And then a couple weeks later, we had our first postponement. They're like, the couple comes to me and says, hey, we're really struggling. We're making a difficult decision here. Yeah. We have to postpone our wedding. We just don't know what's going to happen. And essentially in a normal year, we do 150 performances. Mm. In 2020, we did 35 Oh, my. 
So that is about one-fifth of what we normally do. It was very scary. Yeah. But, you know, you, you actually are correct. We are coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And we, as soon as I'm, actually April of 2021 came, just about a year afterwards, that's when, like, it really started to shoot up. We saw a couple little, like, hills where, mm. you know, t- 2020 people were starting to feel a little more comfortable and yep. the vaccine came out, people were rebooking and starting to feel more optimistic about things, but it would still, it would go up and then go down. But yeah. April of this year, it's it's almost like we're back to normal. Oh, wow. That's encouraging. Yeah. And private events are kind of like the leading indicator because private events have fewer restrictions. It's not like going to a bar where it's a public oh, right. business. Private events, they kind of have more control over things and... Mm-hmm. People are a little more, I guess, open to booking earlier. Sure. Has it been mostly weddings or has it been a mix of like corporate gigs and weddings as well? So it's a mix. I would say we specialize mostly in weddings, but the corporate event planners know what we do and if we're the right fit for their corporate cocktail hour or something. Sure. We've gotten booked by them even like... Uh, the last corporate event we did was actually a couple weeks ago. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And are you, are, how far out are you booked? Like how many book, how many gigs do you have on your books right now? Just curious. Yeah. In, um, well, it's, it, what is it, October now? It's October. Yeah. <laughs> we still have about 20 or 30 left this year. Mm-hmm. And then next year, I think we've already about 50 bookings for 2022. Okay. And we typically book five months in advance, which wow. means early 2022, I'm expecting, as long as you know things don't shut <laughs> down again, yeah. I'm expecting Fingers us crossed. to right. I'm expecting us to be performing full time and making a living just like we used to be. Yeah. Do you guys play on New Year's Eve? Do you get a New Year's Eve gig? Occasionally. Yeah. I, it's like a special kind of couple that books their wedding on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Right. Uh, we do charge extra for sure. holidays. Yeah. So it's not our bread and butter. I'll say yeah. that. I just remember when I was, so I, I went to grad school in Arizona and um, in Tempe, which is just down the road from Scottsdale. And we always looked, as mu- working musicians, you always looked forward to New Year's because the resorts, because, you know, whatever, they would have like these insane parties on new year's and you would get paid you get paid like 1200 bucks a person to play on new year's which was like five times maybe six times what you would normally get paid yeah. uh, this was back in the you know mid 90s or whatever i don't know if it's changed that much since then but it was like you're always like oh new year's we're gonna we're gonna, gonna make, make a lot of money <laughs> Plus, you're gonna get food and you know beverages and all that. And anyway, New Year's was was always was always top of the charts for uh, when I was gigging. Um, when did you first When did you first pick up the violin? How old were you? I was eight, so really little. Yeah. Um, my grandfather, uh, we called him Pop Up. He was my mom's dad. Yeah. He was kind of my inspiration that got me okay. into music. We he would always have some CD playing mm. and it might have been like bubblegum jazz or Carmen the opera. Mm-hmm. It was just all over the place. And he took our family to see a violin play, a uh, violinist. Okay. I forget who who it was. It could have even been Itzhak Perlman, but I was so little. Right. And I had never seen anything like that before. I was probably like four or five at this point. And just seeing this violinist play and being there with my family, I had to be on stage some point. Mm. I wanted to play violin and I wanted to show my grandfather that I could do it too. Sure. So after that concert, I like ran home. Well, my mom drove me home. <laughs> yeah. And then I ran to the bathroom 
opened up like the medicine cabinet and found the popsicle sticks, like the tongue depressors or whatever, uh-huh. <laughs> and grabbed one of them, put it on my shoulder like a violinist, and grabbed another one and used it as the bow. And I was playing violin. Mm. That's so cute. <laughs> but I didn't get to actually play violin until I was eight in fourth grade. Okay. In school. In school, yeah. I started in public school. Yeah, a school orchestra. And then, obviously, you continued all the way through high school. Was it? Did you do any chamber music through there, or was it all just an orchestra? There was a little bit of like extracurricular string quartet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did the youth orchestra, too, sure. which was a little more chamber orchestra style. Yeah. And so my teacher, he was fantastic, Nathan Thomas. He was such an inspirational teacher. Like, Mm. he didn't just teach about music. He taught about life. Mm. And I do believe that that was part of why I stuck with it. Yeah. Was he... When did you start taking private lessons? How, How young were you? I think I was in middle school and... Funnily enough, it it was with my public school teacher. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to his house for the first time thinking like, oh, I get to see where my teacher lives. Like they don't live in the (laughs) classroom. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then my mom was there in every lesson, just like doing her thing. And I was having a great time learning how to play violin. That's awesome. And there's a lot of, I mean, Milwaukee is kind of a music and culture. It's pretty culture rich. I mean, I've, interviewed a f- quite a few musicians from there. It seems like there's a lot artistically going on there. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, I will be clear. I, I grew up on the East Coast in New okay. Jersey. Okay. Um, Good clarification. <laughs> <laughs> but it was music that brought me to Milwaukee. So you are spot yeah. on. It is becoming an arts and culture hub. You, know, you mm-hmm. don't have to go to a major city to experience top quality music. Right, right. So you came to Milwaukee to for like undergraduate for school. What was, it was that for my master's in for orchestra masters. conducting? Okay, where did you do your undergrad? I went to Penn State University. Okay, and that was in music education. Right, and your thought there was you're going to be a like a high school band director or elementary school band director. What was your thought there? So I'm going to be honest with you. When I declared my major as music education, I didn't really want to be teaching. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of a unspoken thing. Like you should not say this, but for many music majors, music education is a backup plan. Right. And the music education faculty hate that. And I understand why. And I'm, I'm so sorry to my music education professors for yeah. revealing this publicly. <laughs> But I wanted to be a musician. Mm-hmm. I wanted to perform. I, I just loved performing. I still do love performing. Yeah. But, you know, when I was taking auditions and things, I I don't think I've ever been in the musical 1%. Like, yeah. I'm not the most talented guy in the room. Sure. And so during auditions, it became kind of evident to me, like, a safer route would be to major in music education rather than performance. Mm-hmm. But I did become a teacher. <laughs> right. So yeah. They got me in the end. Right. You're educating people, which is great. Um, but then did you actually teach? Now you taught some like in mm-hmm. public school. Is that right? I did. I taught elementary music, which included everything. Mm-hmm. Um, for two years, and then high school band for one year. Oh, wow. What was high school band like? <laughs> it was incredible. I loved teaching high school band. Really? Awesome. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I w- In undergrad, one of my favorite classes was intro to conducting. Mm-hmm. And it was taught, again, incredible teachers. They have such an impact on your life. Yeah. Dr. Christopher Kiver, he was the director of uh, Penn State's choral department. Sure. And he inspired me to want to become a conductor. Mm. And high school band was the first teaching position where I felt like I could actually do some conducting. Yeah. 
Like in elementary teaching, yes, you are conducting, but it's more like showing the kids exactly where one, two, three, and four are. Right, right. But, but in high school, you could give them energy and give them complex musical phrasing and they would give it back to you. And it was mm. so cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Was there, uh, did you guys have a, a marching band or a pep band also? Yeah, there was a competitive marching band. Wow. So that's a whole, a whole nother <laughs> whole other discussion. Realm. Yeah. And so then you went to Milwaukee to, for grad school and what was it you were pursuing conducting then? Yeah. Orchestra conducting. Yeah. So even before teaching high school and I'd, you know, been inspired to become a conductor by that conducting professor. Yeah. And while I was teaching elementary school, I was starting to feel a little unsatisfied musically. Mm -hmm. um, I actually mentioned in my book, you could only teach hot cross buns on recorders so many times. Right. <laughs> and Without so, blowing your brains. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I went yeah. on Craigslist while I was an elementary school teacher looking for musical opportunities, mm -hmm. which if you've ever been on Craigslist in the music section, you know that real musical opportunities are hard to come by. Yeah. Usually it's somebody offering cheap horn charts, something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But totally. I found two nuggets in the New Jersey Craigslist. Mm -hmm. One of them was actually a wedding trio that needed a, a violinist. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of the impetus for why I later started my own wedding string quartet was because I had subbed in somebody else's. Mm -hmm. The second gold nugget was an opera company. They were young artists, like Westminster Choir College graduates, looking to start an opera company, and they needed people in their chorus. And I just figured I'll reach out to them, see if they wanted to work with a public school teacher, and maybe I could help them start an orchestra so they mm -hmm. don't have to just do opera with piano. Right. And so... That's kind of where I got the bug for orchestra conducting was because they actually let me start an opera youth orchestra. Oh, cool. And I was the rehearsal conductor. Um, it was the vocal music director who eventually conducted the performances. Sure. But I got to learn how to conduct opera and it was thrilling. I bet. I was like, I was just going to the Met Opera in New York and seeing Wagner and, you know, all these oh, yeah. amazing operas, just getting these big dreams. <laughs> fueling the the fire that every musician has of making it big right to being on the big stage and doing yeah. those grand things what was it about playing in that um that wedding trio what what about that really grabbed you well the biggest grab was i was making good money playing my instrument <laughs> like up until this point I had played for a couple of regional symphonies. Mm -hmm. Like I subbed in the Nittany Valley Symphony while I was at Penn State. Mm -hmm. And it paid, but it didn't pay very well. Right. And then when I got my first wedding and the contractor paid me like 200 bucks to play an hour, I was like, I'm getting more paid more per hour than I was playing in this regional symphony. Right. Like that could really add up to it. <laughs> A living yeah. performing. Right. And the music was not hard. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you're anything like me. This is like, I'll reveal the secret about me, but I don't no. think it's a, a secret because <laughs> I feel like most musicians have this thought too, but they, they won't say it. Sure. I, I hate practicing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate practicing for the sake of practicing. I, I would I would qualify it that way. Like I have to have something that I'm like I haven't really practiced much this last year because there was nothing to practice for. Right. You have to have a, a goal, like something yeah. to motivate you. Exactly. Like, hey, if I've got an opera coming up, I'm going to practice my butt off because <laughs> it's inspiring to me. Right. But I'm not going to just practice Paganini Caprices because I want to want to practice. Right. Yep. So I totally hear you. That was also a thing that appealed to me about playing for weddings is the music is all sight readable mm -hmm. and I didn't need to practice. 
Here's Jared's string quartet playing a version of Bruno Mars' Marry You. to you go to Milwaukee and you start and this is a two-year program that you're yeah in? that's right what was the program like it was pretty rigorous mm-hmm. um you know if it, if you've been through music school then you're pretty familiar with the you take lessons every week yep then you take your uh you have ensembles that you play in like I had to play in orchestra and I also had to play in band yeah but then you also take your theory courses, your history courses. And on top of that, you have to prepare for your like exams at the end of your program yep. plus a recital. Yeah. Comprehensive exams and your recitals. Exactly. <laughs> so it was like, it was a full-time job. Yeah. And were you gigging then also? I had I didn't have the the same connections that I did back on the East coast. Mm -hmm. Um, I did manage to like connect with a couple musical theater directors and again, sub in the regional symphony. Yeah. But I wasn't playing weddings initially. Sure. Um, and then go go ahead. ahead. No, no, you go ahead. (laughs) Well, I was going to say that came a little bit later Later. after I'd started taking some auditions at the end of my program. Because, you know, once you end your degree, either you have a job lined up or you have no financial backing. <laughs> or you keep going and you get a doctor. <laughs> well, yeah, you could be in school forever. And... Exactly. That's my point. <laughs> but so you were taking auditions and then you auditioned for the, the military band, right? It was the Air Force. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I was really interested in military music. Um, I think I kind of first caught the bug when it was before I even went to grad school. I realized that the U.S. Army Band offers a free conducting workshop every summer. Oh, wow. And it's an incredible program. If anybody on this podcast, even if you're not like a, a conductor, it's worth going to because you get to watch some of the best musicians in this country work with some of the best conductors in this country Wow! more in the band side but like music is music sure and so i i went to that clinic two years in a row and they do kind of give a sales pitch for becoming a military musician yeah and i i kind of got interested in that culture so when i was in grad school ending my tenure there one of the auditions i did take was for the air force band Mm-hmm. And that was an incredible audition. Um, mm-hmm. What did you have to prepare for that? Three pieces. So I, I actually got to conduct the premier Air Force Band. And before getting to conduct them, you had to take some theory uh, exams, mm, which fun. I've always, I always <laughs> loved music theory, so I actually did have fun during them. <laughs> but then you have to stand in front of like this 80-person band, 
with 10 to 15 officers in the Air Force watching you, watching your every move. Are they standing at the back of the room, the officers? Yeah, behind the percussionists. Okay. <laughs> so it was really intimidating. I was very nervous. I bet. Um, I had to prepare three pieces. One of them was, um, it was an aria from Carmen. So I was like, mm-hmm. yes, opera. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> it was Votratost, if anyone knows that one. Okay. Um, then I had to prepare a technical piece, which was profanation from Jeremiah Symphony, Leonard Bernstein. Mm-hmm. It's very technical, lots of mixed meters, and it could fall apart very quickly. Mm. It did not, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Um, and then the third one was the more lyrical piece, which was Elsa's procession from the cathedral. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. amazing music. Yeah. The band sounded awesome. Like I was you guys are not sounding like I'm conducting. <laughs> but everybody is kind of self, you know, defeatist sure. in their humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So So you yeah. you stand up there, you get up on the podium, you look out at these musicians, you see those officers. Like what is your heart like racing? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Like it was pounding 160 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a conductor, you know, even as, as an instrumentalist or a singer, yeah. if, if you're tense, then that'll affect your tone. Right. And as a conductor, that manifests itself in your baton because you have to be able to move smoothly yeah. and not, not shake because a shake could be interpreted as a beat. Right. <laughs> oh, man. So, but I was... I don't know. I, I was able to overcome that. And I conducted what I felt was a good audition. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, the commander of the band pulled me into his office, which he actually didn't do for the other candidates, as far as I could see. Okay. Had, did you get to see the other candidates like do their stuff? They had us wait in another room, oh, okay. but it was like a connected hallway. All right. All right. Um. So yeah, he he pulled me into his office and asked me to shut the door, which <laughs> my heart rate like went from 160 to 180. Right. Oh. Um, but I was like really excited. I thought this meant I got the job. Right. Which for me would have set me for life. That would have been my career. Mm-hmm. But instead, he said it was a good audition. Can't offer you the job right now. It's you're just not ready. Mm. Um but I want you to come back next year and try again. But for me, I was graduating in an, in a month or two. Right. There really so wasn't waiting, the next. Yeah. Waiting another year. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. And so it was kind of on the plane ride back where I started to realize I shouldn't rely on any one musical opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like Like I shouldn't rely on auditions because most auditions people lose right yeah <laughs> the odds are <laughs> the odds are not, not in with your you. favor yeah yeah it's not like hunger games mm-hmm. um <laughs> and so i was kind of like racking my brain what am i gonna do like i don't really want to go back to teaching although i mm-hmm. i, I would have enjoyed high school um yeah. not elementary school but unfortunately, I'd resigned, so I couldn't just go back to that job. They'd already filled that position. Sure. And plus, I didn't want to deal with the administration of teaching again. Right. So I was, I, I was like scrolling Facebook in the airport, and I saw the same wedding string quartet contractor back on the East Coast posting nonstop about like, hey, I'm looking for a violinist for this wedding. And again, the pay is pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not in New Jersey. I'd love to play. I wonder if I could bring something like that to Milwaukee. Sure. But unfortunately, like many musicians, I was never taught how to run a business or market myself. (laughs) Right. What is that? (laughs) Yeah. So I was feeling a little lost there Mm -hmm. and defeated because, you know, I just lost an audition. Right. And so I was like thinking, could I ask my conducting teacher? But that would have probably, that would not have gone well. Sure. Um, yeah. Most, most of the professors in music school, they don't even want their students taking gigs in the first place. 
because it'll distract you from your studies. Right, right. Plus, none of the teachers in my school had actually created a wedding ensemble before. Right, so what are they going to tell you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the smartest thing I ever did in music school was leave the music building and walk to the business building. Oh. And they greeted me with open arms. <laughs> and they said, you're a musician, you know nothing. Right. <laughs> Here's your very first piece of like marketing knowledge. Mm -hmm. And they gave me a list of books to read. They set me up with one of the business professors who kind of served as my mentor. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like free private lessons for business. Mm -hmm. And I was so grateful because that enabled me to launch Dream City Music while I was still in grad school. Mm -hmm. um, and I booked my very own, my first very own gig while I was still in grad school. And wow. that felt amazing because I felt kind of in control of my musical destiny again. Sure. Like I'd fell on, fallen off that, that wagon when I lost the audition, but this gave me hope again. It made me feel optimistic about it. Yeah. Was that a wedding that you booked? It was. It was a solo violin gig in a gazebo in Elgin Park, Illinois. Wow. Yeah. You never forget your first one. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Wow. Solo. Yeah. And I wasn't even selling solo. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I was just like, I'll do whatever anyone wants me to. Right. <laughs> Which works when you're getting started, but then you realize that doesn't work when I'm actually trying to build this thing up. Yeah. It doesn't scale. Right. So well. Yeah. But that was the seed that you needed. And it, it sounds like that really boosted your confidence and gave you some momentum. Yeah, it totally did. Because off the back of that, I realized I have something that's working. It's kind of like, a, I don't know, a baby just, a baby was just born. I still have to like feed it and make sure it doesn't like walk off a table or crawl off a table. Right. <laughs> But it exists. There's life in it. And yeah. I can feed it and grow it. And eventually I did. Right. And that, that's now my, that is my business. That's who I am. I am a performer. Right. Tell me about the, so you're, in, you're a techie also. Where did the technical knowledge come in? Did, is that all self-taught or did you take classes in programming or? Um, I am mostly self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been fascinated by technology ever since I was little. Like when my parents brought home our first desktop computer in the 90s, mm -hmm. the first thing I did was like open up the case and start to take it apart. <laughs> and I put it back together before my parents got home. Right. So, so they didn't know. But I don't know. I've always been into technology and solving problems. And technology is just a way to solve problems. Right. So I taught myself how to code in middle school, did awesome. a lot of online learning, and I did take one community college class in high school for it, but most of it has just been my own. I have a problem. Oh, I see I can solve it through technology somehow. Right. Figuring out how to do that. Right. So you get your music group up and you're getting gigs, and that's that's going that that went well, it seems. It did. Yeah. I mean, before I graduated, like I, I had actually booked more than just that one solo violin gig. Mm -hmm. Like it was showing enough promise that it was going to be my full-time job after I graduated. Wow. So, so, yeah. And in fact, we were getting so busy that if anyone has ever led a group before, you know that you're... You're the head honcho. Everything falls on your shoulders. Yeah. And you have to be supremely organized to make sure everything goes smoothly. Right, right. Um, most musicians, like no one, they don't teach you how to do this in music school or lessons. No, they don't. How to be organized. <laughs> and then the other thing is that the people who figure it out typically don't teach the people who don't figure it out or haven't figured it out yet. Right. Like I've never played for somebody who then taught me how to book my own gigs. Sure. 
so you figure it out yourself. No. And the way that I figured it out, which I think is similar to the way most people figure it out, is you use spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. And you kind of piece Excel. together ex- tons of Excel <laughs> or Google Sheets. Yeah, yeah. And then you have email chains that are like 20 messages long, group text messages or Facebook messages to coordinate the band. And especially w- with strings, like for a wedding string quartet, you can kind of swap out players a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's true in, in cover bands too. But for original music, it's a little less flexible. Sure. But when you're dealing with a lot of different players, that means a lot of different group chats. Like this gig, I have, you know, these four people. This other gig, I have a completely different set of people. Yeah. And it's everywhere. I was managing. I was surviving. Yeah. Um, So fast forward to 2019-ish. I had just gotten married. Mm -hmm. And in October of that year, I wanted to take my wife out on a date to pick some apple or uh, to pick some apples. Mm-hmm. And it was Saturday, which is prime time wedding, right. wedding day. <laughs> and so I checked everything, checked my spreadsheets, checked <laughs> this, that, and the other. And I was like, Phew, no gigs. We're going to go apple picking. Nice. And the orchard was, was an hour away. Mm-hmm. We drive there, we get our bushel and, we're having a good time using the like sticks with the claws on the end that you can oh, just yeah. <laughs> grab the apples off. And it was while we were picking Honeycrisp apples, which is my favorite kind. Mm, yeah. I My phone starts vibrating and I like pull it out of my pocket. I see on the caller ID, it's a wedding planner. And mm. so my, my heart starts pounding a little bit <laughs> and I, I get that like feeling of dread. Mm-hmm. And so I answer it. And as soon as I answer it, the voice on the other end is screaming. Jared, they walk down the aisle in 10 minutes. Where are the strings? Oh, my God. (laughs) I like dropped the apples that I'd picked. And I just felt really, really terrible. Sure. And, you know, I was not as organized as I thought I was. I missed a line in the spreadsheet. And... Mm. I ruined somebody's wedding. Wow. Um, But not only that, I also damaged our reputation that I'd worked so hard to figure out. Mm -hmm. I was really worried that like word would get around to the whole Milwaukee wedding planning community and that I would not be allowed to play at anybody's wedding ever again. Right. So I, I did my best to like, I got the, DJ to play their ceremony and then I called the the bride, I called her mother, I called the wedding planner afterwards and apologized and offered them money on top of a refund, just like, I'm going to pay for your DJ because I feel so bad for it. Mm-hmm. And then I had to figure out, like, why did this happen? Yeah. And you know, I I was like so nervous, is this going to happen again? And I can't just worry every single weekend. I need a life. Right. (laughs) Right. You can't just have us constant anxiety. Yeah. That's no way to live. No. And I realized the thing is I am managing all of these musicians, but there is no one managing me. Mm -hmm. And if there was someone managing me, that would take a lot of the stress off my shoulders. But... I'm a musician. I can't hire somebody to manage me. That doesn't make sense. Right. And so I went to the bar to, I don't know, cope. Yeah. And self-medicate a little. Yeah. And I, I didn't drive because I'm responsible. Right. Nice. I took, I took an Uber. And so as I'm Ubering back from the bar, I have this thought because I looked at, down at the screen the Uber app was managing the driver. It was telling the driver, you have a new gig. You got to pick this guy up from Lakefront Brewery, take him back to his home. Here's the itinerary, the set list. Mm-hmm. And it reminded the driver when to pick me up and when to drop me off. And then automatically paid the driver afterwards. Right. And I was like, that is so cool. 
I wonder if that exists for music. Sure. And I did a little research. I couldn't find anything. You know, there's websites that help you find gigs. You right. know, your, your gig salad, your this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. None that actually managed the logistics and would actually yell at me if I was going to miss a gig. <laughs> and so here's the problem solver in me is like, if it doesn't exist, I'm going to make it. Right. And so I, I spent some all-nighters and coded the very first version of it, which all it did at that point was schedule musicians. Mm-hmm. And so I put in the next wedding we had, and I said, I want you to find me two violins, a viola, and a cello. And I hit staff it. And when I hit the button, it sent out text messages and emails to my list of musicians. And the most amazing thing happened, which was my phone then vibrated for a good reason this time. (laughs) And it said, Paul just accepted the request. And then it said, Dana's not available, but I'm going to ask Catherine instead. And it sent Catherine a message too. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden it was running my group for me. Wow. Yeah, because then instead of me being like an unreliable human that could (laughs) screw up somebody's wedding, it just meant that I now had a group that ran itself. Wow. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, that's how I could scale up this thing beyond what was possible if I were just doing this on my own. Right. And that became Book Live. That became Book Live. Right. And how many iterations have you, has it gone through? Well, we make tweaks every day. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. We've made like thousands of changes since that very first. If you looked at that first version, it was not pretty. It was pretty (laughs) ugly. (laughs) But it worked. It did what you needed it to do. Yeah. Because the cool thing now is like, it's being used by over a thousand musicians and not all of them are string quartet managers like me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a cover band out in California, the Freshmakers. Mm-hmm. He runs a group that does not change staffing, but they have actually just recently earned our major sixth award, which we give out to groups that do over six figures in bookings through it. Oh, wow. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's it's super cool to see what different kinds of groups use it. There's like another cover band. There's a jazz ensemble that's using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it works for any type of musician, which is the, the cool part for me. And I get to hear all of their music. And right. I f- feel a little more connected to the music community that way. Sure. So the the software is really for m- managing the, the, the resources, the musicians and the schedules and all that. It, it doesn't, does it have, can people use it? I mean, there's no portion of it for like consumers to come and say, oh, I'm looking for a group. No. It's not that, um, that's not the, the crux of it. Yeah, that's, that's not our mission. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I thought about this a lot. And there was a point where we were thinking we would pursue that route. Mm-hmm. But I believe that a musician's life is greatly improved if they can learn the marketing and sales skills necessary to book their own gigs Mm -hmm. and not rely on somebody giving them gigs, like teach them to fish instead of providing them with fish. Right. And do you teach musicians how to do that? I do. Yes. (laughs) And is that through your, when did you write the book? By the way. Yeah. The book gigging secrets just came out in August of 2021. Okay. Um, and is that, that how you're teaching everybody how to <laughs> do those things? Yeah, that's part of it for sure. Yeah. Like I also do one-on-one coaching of musicians. Like I have my own students who mm-hmm. learn this. Uh, I do group classes. And mm-hmm. then even some of the way that Book Live is set up, it also educates musicians. Right, right. Here's Jared's group playing Brahms Largo from Symphony One.
gigging musician can make <laughs> oh man that and i is can a... think of several but like in your experience because you're 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 a full yeah like you're making a full-time living at this like what's the what's the rookie mistake that gigging musicians make <laughs> when they're first starting out uh rookie mistake is to assume that talent will get you the gigs alone Mm. because I mean, before I walked over to the business school, I was under that impression too. Mm -hmm. Like I thought I just needed to get better at conducting or I needed to practice more and learn more music or rehearse with my group more. Yeah. And that that would lead to more bookings. Uh, It's not, I mean, you're improving your product, but products don't market themselves. Right. (laughs) They have to be marketed actively. Sure. So to me, the biggest mistake is not learning marketing, even at a very basic level. Mm-hmm. And were there any books or any any uh, any resources that that you read or you consumed around marketing that really had a big impact for you? Yeah. Um, in fact, I have a stack of books here that's holding my computer up. <laughs> And the top one, actually, I'll show you because we're on a video right now. Yeah. It's it's called The Musician's Guide to Brides. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And it's cool. It's it's an older book. It's actually a bit out of date. Mm -hmm. But it was really my first, like, music plus marketing book. Mm. And so while a lot of it is out of date, there are some marketing principles in there that hold up. And it became my gateway into this music business world. I see. Very cool. But yeah, so, then aside aside from that, it's I have a whole list of like other marketing books, but Sure. That's a great nugget though. Yeah, it's a good one. And don't read too many books because then <laughs> you'll just have too many like shiny objects to chase. <laughs> I would right. just read the books or consume the content that you need to know right now. Mm-hmm. So what about the musician that doesn't want to run his own group? Like what if what about the musician who just wants to be a worker? Like just I just want to play in the string quartet. I don't want to manage it or book it. Like what what advice would you give to them or how how could they use your your book or the or the software? Yeah, I mean that's a really good point. Um I definitely market my services more towards the one who wants to be the leader. Mm-hmm. Because you can make more money as the leader. Right. Um, but to be honest, marketing is not just for the band leaders. Okay. If, if you want to be a sub, in order to get on people's sub lists, you have to market yourself. Mm-hmm. Instead of marketing to the bride, you're marketing to those band leaders. Right. So understanding marketing at a basic level will still help you much better than not doing anything at all right then again just assuming well i'm the best sax player so everybody's just gonna call me (laughs) because yeah Yeah. so for sure and i'd say don't don't give up don't get frustrated if it doesn't work out for you Mm -hmm. but realize that you might have to try something different and get out of your comfort zone right and that's okay Sure. Was the inspiration for the book that you that you had a lot of requests for people to teach teach your marketing knowledge? Where did the book where did that kernel come from for the book? Yeah, for sure. So before the book, I was 
heavily pushing to get people on book live and try it out. Mm -hmm. And the more musicians I spoke to about it, like I would have some that matched my exact, like I run a string quartet or I Mm -hmm. run a cover band and we have enough gigs already. But the majority of musicians I spoke to, they kept telling me over and over again, like I don't have enough volume to need this kind of thing. Mm. And to me, like what they actually were saying was, I'm not making enough money from my music to make a living off of it. Sure. And that's when I realized not everybody has learned the basics of how to build yourself a music business to a point where you can make a living off of it. And that is a shame because all of my teachers, I don't know, they painted this picture of you're going to make it on stage one day and you're not going to have to learn all this business stuff. It'll just happen. Right. And everybody sold this idea and this this pipe dream that doesn't come true for people. And I don't know about you, but like almost on a weekly basis, when I hear of one of my friends who I went to school with or have been in the, the music circles, I hear about them either giving up on music or getting mm-hmm. a, a job in corporate. And they're like, oh, I just need to make ends meet while I'm figuring it out. Right. And I, I, I see music dying. Yeah. And to me, that's not okay. I need to do something about that. Right. That's a great calling to try to affect that through your book. That's awesome. I hope so. And I realize like not everybody wants to make a living gigging. And that's okay. Some people want to record albums. Some -hmm. people want to tour on Broadway. But I do think the basics of marketing apply no matter how you choose to make your living. Right. Across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, how many gigs are like a week? So you're in, in, and on average, like how many gigs a week are you, you booking? Do you mean like for yourself? Like how, or how many are you playing? Maybe that's a better, how many gigs a week do you, do you do <laughs> yeah. on average? <laughs> So when I started, I was doing like three or four gigs a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but that became a little unsustainable. Like I wanted some weekend days and you yeah. know, wanted to be able to spend time with my wife and go on a hike or go pick apples. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, for me, I've toned it back to about two gigs a month. Okay. Um, but it's, it still pays very well. Wow. But my company is still booking and playing. I'd say, you know, after COVID, we're still in the recovery phase, like I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. But like just this past weekend, we had three gigs this weekend. The weekend before we had five. So it's it's a good amount each weekend. Sure, sure. Have you had any really high, like, well, not, I guess I would say high profile or is there... Any, like, have you ever played for like a celebrity wedding or somebody like a senator or like some high profile <laughs> wedding? Um, so, yeah, we, we've done a couple interesting ones like that. Um, we played like right before COVID, we played at a, um, I guess I, I wouldn't really call it a corporate event. It was more like a fundraiser kind of thing for mm-hmm. our, our governor. Um, in the state and then in middle school (laughs) (laughs) I actually got to play for the president at the time George Bush Jr.'s dog (laughs) his (laughs) (laughs) for his dog yeah because his dog we we got to play in the White House I probably should have led with that oh okay yeah the Um, White House that's good yeah, we played in the White House, and his dog was running through all the different rooms while everyone was touring the the different Christmas trees that they put up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that must have been a thrill as a kid to, oh yeah, play in the White House. It was nuts, and I was like, I was always the youngest in the group. I was a little immature. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we got to go in the White House, the Secret Service came and inspected all of our instruments. Like they had to make sure that we weren't bringing anything explosive right. into the White House. Right. And so they would open up our cases and knock on our instruments and make sure they really were hollow. 
Um, but the Secret Service agent looked at me, and I guess being a little kid, my bow tie was a little crooked. The Secret Service agent said to me, fix your attire, sir. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did they look at the resin funny? Were they like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was interesting. I bet, I bet, that's a really great story. Um, I was I wanted to ask about like musicians that don't live in in uh, like bigger metropolis areas. So like in smaller towns or smaller cities, do you think there's a sweet spot for population size for someone to be able to earn a living in this way? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the larger the city, the more opportunities available. Right. But even with smaller cities, there are still plenty of private events. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just about weddings, but there are a lot of weddings in smaller, smaller cities. There yeah. are a lot of parties, private parties that people host. Um, so I feel like it's it's smaller than a city like Milwaukee, which is six hundred thousand. Right, like you could still make a good living in in a smaller city. Sure, it's where I live. There's well, the the area here in Southern Oregon is probably it's probably hundred hundred and thirty thousand. I mean, there's a bunch of little little cities, and there's some bands that. Um, I mean, I've subbed, I've subbed in some cover bands that seem to work a great deal. We got winer, wine, wineries are a big, like that seems to be the latest, uh, <laughs> most common venue for live music in this yeah. area is, is wineries. They're hiring a lot of musicians, it seems. Yeah, for sure. I've seen that too here in Milwaukee. Uh, yeah. We don't typically position ourselves for wineries because it's similar to a bar or club gig for us. Like, we don't have a following. Right. Um, so we're not even appealing to businesses who are looking for the band to bring in people mm-hmm. and keep, keep them drinking for a while. Right. But, yeah, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. One thing we've, in our area, I don't know how common this is, but um, we have a very large amateur musician population so we have a lot of retired folks who play music and one struggle that the professional musicians have is that a lot of these uh folks will play for almost nothing Hmm. so they'll (laughs) they'll just be like i'll play at your bar your whatever and just give me some beer and that's fine and then they have a lot of friends so their friends show up so they're drawing a lot of people. They're not asking for much money. And then it's been hard. It's been a challenge, I would say, for the professional musicians who make their living at it, who are actually have a lot higher quality product to to then convince the person, <laughs> the, the person running the establishment to like invest. You know what I mean? Yeah, something we I don't know if that's just unique here, but it's it's a pattern I've seen over the last few years here. No, for sure. I've seen a lot of like I'm a part of a lot of different Facebook groups for musicians. Yeah, a a lot of them are nationwide. And that pattern is all over the country. Mm -hmm. And everybody complains because it does devalue live music. Right. But one thing I guess that kind of reassures me is that the bar restaurant owner who brings in these amateurs, they know that they're getting a lower quality product. Mm-hmm. And eventually it's going to impact their business in a way. Like it's right. Yeah. So you get what you pay for. <laughs> you get what you pay for. <laughs> it's more motivation for the higher quality musicians to pursue the opportunities that are worth their time. Right. Which you know, might not necessarily be in a bar. It might be in a, a banquet hall. Mm-hmm. Sure. The thing I like about playing, one of the things I like about playing weddings is for each wedding on average, 
I get a an audience built into it of about 200, 250 people who have never heard me before. Wow. And I, I didn't have to put out a Facebook event. I didn't have to make posters. Right. And do you, uh, do you get a lot of work from those uh, events? Like do people will come up and say, hey, you know, we're getting married next year. We have this retirement or we have this anniversary. And mm-hmm. Yeah. So we bring business cards to every gig mm-hmm. and people do come up and we hand them to the people who come up. But as part of the the Gigging Secrets book, one of the things that I suggest is don't just wait for people to come up. Introduce yourself to the venue manager and the the staff at the venue because, you know, those are the people who have access to hundreds of people who book events at their specific venue. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot of gigs come from one gig. Yeah. And then how do you... Do you have any um, uh, tactics or tricks for keeping the music fresh? Like I know probably you get a request for a lot of the similar, a lot, a lot of the similar, a lot of similar set lists or songs. Like how do you, how do you manage it with the, the, the group to keep it, you know, still keep it energetic and like, oh no, we're playing this one more time. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I I get that. I mean, I don't know. For me, it it stays fresh just because I know what went into booking it. Mm-hmm. But I will say at each gig, I don't know, we kind of have a contest between all the musicians there of like who can do something subtle but interesting that the musicians notice mm-hmm. that that don't take away anything from the song. Like whether right. you add, add a couple extra notes into this one one phrase mm-hmm. or alter a rhythm slightly like i don't know it kind of becomes a little inside joke right to keep it interesting yeah and then you know when everybody notices because like they'll smile or laugh when they're playing sure but not because it sounded bad but because it was unexpected sure that's cool i like that so where if for the people that are listening that that are interested in in your offerings like um first of all how how would they how would they get a copy of your book if they wanted to yeah so i'm going to do something special for um, playful musician listeners i want to give my book away to them for free wow that's so generous yeah i mean you know we all kind of we're in this together and sure musicians deserve to know this stuff they, they do have to pay some shipping and handling. Like the book is free, but the shipping is not. Sure. And they can get a copy at giggingsecrets.com slash playful musician. Awesome. So that's cool. And it, yeah, if you want to like put that on the show notes or something, that's, that's fine too. For sure. I'll put that in the show notes and we'll make sure that that's, we'll probably put that in the social post too. That That's a great offer. Thanks, Jared. And then what about book the software the book live what's the url for that if they're interested in learning about the software yeah so that is available at booklive.com and we are giving away a free two-week trial to that oh that's great so people can check it out yep try it for two weeks put in a couple gigs see if it helps you book more or spend Mm -hmm. less time and go to an apple orchard without worrying And are you on social media? Where can people find out more about about you in yep, general? For sure. I'm on uh, Facebook and um, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And those are both at Jared Judge, J-A-R-E-D-J-U-D-G-E. Okay. And you have your own website or is it best for people to just go to the booklive.com? Or? Those websites are better. Yeah. I'm working on mine. I haven't <laughs> needed it in a while. <laughs> sure. And if people wanted to hire you, like if they wanted direct one-on-one coaching, what's the best route to get get to you for that? So uh, there's an application. Mm -hmm. So they should send me an email to jared, J-A-R-E-D, at booklive.com. And then I'll I'll send them the application. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jared, you're doing great work. I really appreciate that you're out there teaching 
and helping musicians. I know, you know, nobody taught me this stuff, and I work with um, I work with students at the local college here, and and I I feel for them graduating as undergrads, and I often ask the question like, what are we what are we preparing these kids for? Like, what are they? <laughs> What are they actually going to do? So it's nice to see that you're out there helping to educate these musicians. And, you know, the more musicians we can have making livings, the more music we'll have, the more live music we'll have, and the better, I just think, the better everybody's lives are going to be. <laughs> yes, I I agree 100%. So thank you so much for having me and, and for putting on this podcast. It's awesome that you're doing this. Well, thanks, Jared. And um, yeah, we'll look forward to uh, seeing how things continue with the book and with your with Book Live. And um, yeah, we'll stay in touch. That sounds amazing. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Jared. You're welcome. Hey, everyone. Just a couple of things before you head out the door. First of all, thanks for listening. I do appreciate all of you out there supporting the podcast. And I hope that you'll spread the word and help grow the audience for me. I think these are very useful and fun podcasts, and I'd love for everybody to hear these conversations. Don't forget to grab your free copy of Gigging Secrets by going to www.giggingsecrets.com slash playfulmusician. You only pay shipping, and then you get this great book that'll help you book more gigs. You can also check out Jared at dreamcitymusic.com, booklive.com, and his own podcast, giggingmusicianspodcast.com. And don't forget to visit the Playful Musician website, playfulmusician.com. You can see show notes and listen to all past episodes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here again real soon. Mm-hmm.